So let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word. Hear God's word to you this morning. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as John is in Jambres, opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus ends the reading of God's holy authoritative word. May strengthen our hearts with it this morning. You may be seen. Now my brothers and sisters in Christ, for someone who doesn't love flying in an airplane, thousands of feet in the air, in a metal tube with metal wings, I've become quite the frequent flyer. And on almost every single flight, very few exceptions, there comes a point where you hear through the loudspeaker, as it were, the captain giving an announcement, we're going to ask you to return to your seats. You know when you hear that? (laughs) And we want you to fasten your seatbelts on very tightly because we're about to experience however much amount of time of turbulence. And we want you to be safe. Now, I've been on some flights... Where when they say that, I mean, it's barely a hitch, it's a little bit bumpy, you know, and you're kind of like, what was all the much ado about nothing? But I've been on other flights, and I kid you not, there was this one flight, all right, so I'm on, I'm in, we're landing in Sioux City, Iowa, in a snowstorm, 
And when you see the stewardesses getting nervous, when you see them buckling and almost doing the, you know, I mean, you know, their faces turning white and pale or whatever, you're, that's when you kind of get nervous, right? And I remember that one. It, it was so crazy landing, right, that when we landed, the whole place erupted in applause, okay? So I've been in those situations as well. Well, in this passage of God's holy word, the, the Apostle Paul is telling young Timothy to expect turbulence on the Christian journey in general, and particularly in the ministry, his ministry of the gospel. And he writes this in his, in, in his letter. But mark this. And in the Greek, it's basically, know this. Realize this. Pay attention. The aged apostle is about to drop some serious, important truth bombs on young Pastor Timothy. About what? What Paul wants them to know is storms are coming, my son. There's going to be difficult times, uh, terrible times, really in the Greek. Uh, I'm not a Greek scholar, but every now and then I have to, I really want to see, what's this real word? There's going to be perilous times. That's what the word is, dangerous times. And Paul's words are somewhat prophetic because they're concerning the signs of the times, the spiritual and the moral climate that his protege, is going to have to minister the gospel in. When? When will these times occur? If you, we just read it in the text. In the last days. Now some folks misinterpret that and they think this means only right before Jesus comes. Now it certainly is going to get more and more intense the closer we get to Christ's second coming. And it's really going to come to a head then. I'm a firm believer in that. The Bible teaches that everywhere. Maybe you'll know my millennial view by me saying that. However, the Bible, when it speaks of these last days in the book of Acts, for instance, in the book of Hebrews, it's really referring to that time period between Christ's resurrection and his second coming. So guess what? We are in the last days. We're in them right now. And even Timothy was already experiencing living in the last days. So we have been living in these days since then. And as we look at these verses, we're going to see, uh, it's hard to disagree with that understanding of it. We're going to see this. We're going to see what characterizes these perilous days. I mean, we've got to know what, what's characteristic of these days that are so rough. That's the first point. And then we only have one other point, And that is, how are we to live faithfully as Christians in these perilous days? Those are the two things I want to point out from the text. Although there's so much awesome stuff. Those are the two main things we're going to look at. So let's take a look at the first one. What characterizes uh, these difficult, uh, perilous times? I'm going to read the, uh, the first few verses to get it, get it fresh in our minds again. Although it's not pleasant to meditate on or to read, I, I think we need to hear it again. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, if I would have had to summarize these verses, because I do this morning, and put it in a very succinct way, I would just say this. People will replace the rightful love for God with the illegitimate love for self. Notice Paul uses the word love in these verses six times. It just kind of pulls out of the text. 
See, when people love themselves, when people love uh, money, when they love pleasure more than they love God, when they love, uh, instead of loving their parents and instead of loving the good, indeed, those are perilous times to live in, aren't they? When everybody's all about themselves. Me first. I got to get mine. You know when you get in lines and you ever see how, how people act? It's crazy. And of course, this is, uh, when it comes to spiritual things, it gets even worse. Reminds me of the famous dialogue between Frodo and Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. Okay, I'm a Narnia guy more than I am a Lord of the Rings guy. I make no sorry, but not sorry. But in this particular instance, I like this quote uh, from Lord of the Rings. Frodo starts the dialogue. He's speaking to Gandalf, the wizard, in case for those of us who aren't Lord of the Rings people. Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. We didn't get a chance. We didn't have the opportunity to choose. But now we're in it. And what our choice is, how are we going to live? How are we going to live? Timothy had to face the reality and be prepared to fight the good fight of faith in tough times. He'd need to brace himself to be ready to take the hit for standing up for the truth in love in a world that loves everything but the good and the holy. The Living Bible gives an interesting paraphrase of these verses. I don't normally quote the Living Bible that often, but I just like the way it kind of brings out uh, the truth here. It says, it puts it this way, they will betray their friends, they will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride, and listen to this one. This one is so characteristic of, of our times, and it's infected the church, including myself at times, and they will prefer good times to worshiping God. They will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. <laughs> Don't be taken in by people like that. Wow. But here's the thing. Paul is not merely describing the wicked, irreligious people we bump into every day. Who's he describing? He's describing depraved religious people. That's convicting. Notice they will go to church but won't embrace what they hear. They won't put it into practice. Having a form of godliness but denying the very power of it. John Stott puts it this way, British commentator who's now with Jesus. They evidently attended the worship services of the church. They sang the hymns. They said amen to the prayers. And they put their money in the offering plate. They looked and sounded uh, pious. But it was form without power. Outward show without inward reality. Religion without morals. Faith without works. And although this description can be true of lay people, right? I get amen on that. In context here, it's actually dealing with false leaders in the church. That's where he's going with this. Yeah, the world in general is this way, but now he's going to these teachers that are pulling people away from the truth. Um, we look at it in the context and we see that. First of all, having a form of religion but denying its power. Then we see uh, those who worm their way into homes and gain control of the weak-willed women. That's leaders, unfortunately. Um, and he compares these men to men who opposed Moses in the Old Testament. 
And then Paul says something interesting here. He says, avoid such men. You know your mom and dad say, stay away from them. Right? Now, you have to understand, Paul is not telling Timothy to stay away from all sinners. Right? In another epistle, he says, if we were to do that, we'd have to leave the world. Not to mention, Jesus ate with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners like you and me. He's not saying get away from them. But rather, he's talking about religious leaders who have the outward form, who should know better. And yet they deny its actual power, the gospel's power, to make you holy. And you know what's really interesting? He says this about the weak-willed women, but I believe it's true about those who lead them and deceive them as well. They are always learning. Right? But they never come to a knowledge of... The, you know those people who love to study? They love the new ideas. They love to discuss philosophy and theology. But they never come down to it and acknowledge the truth of the gospel. They never say, okay, we can know this for certain. We can bank our souls on it. I think the interesting thing here, and it was really helpful to me as a pastor, and it should be helpful to you as uh, even a lay person here, is sometimes arguing with people like this and inter interacting with them is literally a waste of your God-given time. And Paul is saying it right here in the text. He says, don't worry, don't worry about them. Their folly is going to be seen. Sooner or later, it's going to come out in the wash that they're, all, they're out for who? Number one, themselves. They're not serving God. They're not loving on you. They're not sacrificing for you. They're not giving you stuff away for you. Instead, they're taking. They want to control you. It's like cults. They want to be in your business. They're not in the business of laying down their lives. And then Paul gives the example of Janias and Jambres who opposed Moses. And then notice what he says about them. As far as the faith is concerned, they are rejected. See, leaders like this are accepted by the world. Because they know what, you know, what the fads are. They keep in keeping with the fads. They're cool. They're slick. They speak the language of the world. But when it comes to the truth, remember Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They are rejected. What's interesting here is Paul doesn't just tell Timothy what to avoid and what not to imitate. And it's interesting that, that he had to tell his son in the faith these things, by the way. So don't think, you know, that you're standing. You know, be careful lest you fall. That even Timothy had to know because Paul knew his time is coming where he had to go see Jesus. Was going to be on this earth much longer. And he's like, Timothy, hold on. And we're going to show. He's not just going to tell him, avoid these kind of people. Now he's going to give us the positive, And that's the second point in the text. He's going to show not only what to avoid, but now the pattern that will display how to live faithfully uh, in the gospel and in Christ in these perilous times. Look at verse 10. You, however, there's the contrast, right? You, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, etc., 
Donald Guthrie puts it this way, but against such a background of militant error, the Christian leaders must stand firm on what they know of the truth, like a rock resisting the increasing fury of the waves. I'm a beach guy. I'm not a plane guy. I like to have my feet on the ground. But when I go and see different beaches around the world here in AC, when I'm in Italy, I like to just go and sit and meditate. And there are times there's like almost a storm or there is a storm and you see these waves crashing against these gigantic rocks. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Against these things, stand firm in the gospel. Let them rage. You keep your feet on the solid rock of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his teaching. The point of it is all this. In contrast to these counterfeit ministers whose teaching and whose way of life is rotten to the core, which by the way, I don't know about you, but you know, I love nectarines. And the worst thing is it's, it seems nice, looks really red on the outside, and you feel, oh, it's a little soft, and then you go, oh, you go, hmm. I guess my wife would say it's mealy. It's nasty. That's what false teachers are like. They promise this beauty in this life, but once you get into, into the core of it, it's nasty. In, in contrast to that, what Paul is saying, you know about, all my t all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, the persecutions I've suffered, etc. See, the gospel at times, sometimes it's hard to receive because it tells us we need to repent and believe the good news. But once we bite of that apple, we say, what I've been waiting for my whole life. This is the real deal. Jesus is the real deal. Only he can save. Only he can satisfy. Only his truth will see me through the darkness of these perilous times. Can I get a witness? I love the way Paul puts this. Follow that pattern that I handed down to you if you need an example. Copy that. Associate with that. Minister that true gospel. Living a life, by the way, that's consistent with that, which will inevitably lead you to take the hit for associating with Christ and his apostle. Because when Timothy did stand out for the gospel, he took the hit. Because right in the book, he has to say, don't be ashamed. Hang in there. God's not given a spirit of timidity. Facing persecution, rather than showing us that God doesn't love us or that we're not in his will, actually is the stamp of, okay, this guy's genuine. He's taking it on the chin. Right? Don't miss the irony here. A little bit of irony. Those who take the easy, broad road, by giving into their depraved minds, they're rejected by the truth. Whereas those who follow the same purpose as the Apostle Paul, his gospel teaching and his gospel living of faith, patience, love, and endurance will experience the mark of acceptance of the truth. And the mark, there are many marks, but the primary mark that you're, you're on the right track is that you will be persecuted. Because notice what he says in this text. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus may get persecuted, right? No. Thankfully, I see some heads shaking. Will experience persecution. 
So go ahead, let the counterfeits have their smooth sailing, worldly success for a season. Let them receive the just desserts for their deceptive, sinful message and method. And notice, here's what's going to happen to them, okay? There's going to be progress. I want you to see something. There's going to be progress in their lives. But notice what the progress is. They will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. That's their reward is that they're going to be completely duped. Where they won't even know what's up and down anymore. They're going to believe their own lies. Now, I always tell my age when I quote from Psalms. Because I'm like, my wife says I'm stuck in the 80s. But I've got to be honest, I really like the 70s. And I like the 80s too. But the 80s kind of started getting away from the really rockets. But anyway, this might have been like 69. I don't know. All along the watchtower. Ever hear of it? By Jim, well, Jimmy Hendrix didn't write it, but he made it. Rip it. There's this one. I think it was Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan actually wrote it. But I like Jimmy's version. But there's that one verse, man, that always gets me. No reason to get excited. The thief, he kindly spoke. There are many here among us who feel that life is but a joke. And you and I, we've been through that. And this is not our fate. So let us stop talking falsely now. The hour is getting late. And there's a ripping guitar solo. But anyway, the point is, it's very emotional. It comes to a climax. But I love that line, but you and I, we've been through that. Right? If we've, if we've come to know Christ, we know our pre-Christian life. We've been through that. And we know that's not our fate. So let's stop talking falsely now because here's the great point. That's what Paul's saying. The hour's getting late. He's coming. And there's going to be a day there's not going to be a time to turn and get it straight. And put our faith in Christ and show it by living for Him. Deceiving and being deceived is not our fate as true believers in Christ. We have a different way that goes into a different destiny, praise the Lord, because of his death and his resurrection. Walking the true path of faith, love, and perseverance in Christ is, will bring persecution. But I, I almost missed this. Uh, I was going to almost skip over this, but I feel like I really can't. I want you to see the encouragement Paul gives to his son in the faith found in verse 11. Paul says, you know about the per persecutions I endured, but then he says this, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. <laughs> Sorry, I get excited about this stuff. Makes me want to say, won't he do it, church? You know, that's why I picked that song this morning. We've come this far by faith. Leaning with all our weight, not on ourselves, but on the Lord. Trust in what? In his holy word. Which, by the way, is God-breathed and inerrant, without error. He's never failed me yet. Paul's bringing to Timothy's recollection the testimony of grace that Timothy saw and experienced firsthand with the Apostle Paul. I can summarize Paul's experience. Actually, John Newton has. Through many dangerous toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And guess what? Grace is going to lead me home. That's what Paul's saying. I've already seen it in my own life. You, Timothy, were right next to me when it happened. Like, for instance, 
When I was stoned so bad, stones crushing my skull, I'm laying on the ground, a bloody mess. Even the other disciples, his disciples of Christ, thought Paul's dead. And all of a sudden, Paul opens his eyes, gets up and says, come on, we've got to go to the next town and testify about Christ. That's the kind of deliverance we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, pain-free. He's never failed me yet. And Timothy, he won't fail you. You got to trust him. You got to go his way. Then he says this. As for you, again, as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, my brothers and sisters, here's the point. There is a clear path through the turbulence of these perilous times of the last days. And here it is. Might not be shocking. Continue as you began. In the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ presented to you in the Holy Scriptures. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't depart from that. Because the Scriptures alone are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in, its, in Scripture's main character, which is Messiah Jesus. Timothy's going to need to walk as his mentor Paul walked. He's going to have to trust in the Savior, his father in the faith trusted in, and in the light of the scriptures that his grandma and his mom taught him since he was a little child. You know, whenever I give my testimony, you might even hear it this week, we'll see. I got saved later on, a little bit later on in life. I was 19. I have kind of a dramatic testimony. And so often I have people come to me, well, what about me? I was born in a Christian home. First of all, I say, praise the Lord. Timothy was one of those. He was one of those, his grandma and his mom taught him the Old Testament scriptures since he was little. And when, when he met the Apostle Paul as a very young man, the Apostle Paul showed him from all the Old Testament that uh, Christ is the Messiah. And he was converted. And here's the point. What did Paul say about this covenant child in another epistle, Philippians? I have no one like him. Not some wild hot shot who had some crazy experience. Just someone who had faith. In Christ Jesus. And so, so must we brothers and sisters. So must we. Because Paul will mention in chapter 4, there will be some that won't put up with sound doctrine. Listen. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Sound familiar? And he says, instead, you need to follow the teaching of those who expound the true word of God, the scriptures. In other words, listen to this. Real men of God find their preaching and living material from the God-breathed word of God, which thoroughly equips them for every good work. This book is all we need in that sense to thoroughly equip us pastors. This book that has Jesus at its center. Now I want to ask a question. Is that where your pastor gets his teaching and training from? 
And if so, are you listening to him? Or are you listening to the spirit of the age speaking through your favorite actors, your favorite artists, your favorite writers, sports figures, or singers, who more times than not contradict the teaching of God's holy word? Who are you listening to? Because here's the thing. Our sinful nature tends to associate with and listen to leaders who affirm our sinful tendencies. Is that not our culture? We change, we try to change the truth to fit the way we want to live. We need true godly men of God, men of the word, men of the book, who are willing to tell us the truth in love, even when it contradicts our lifestyle. There's a Rush song called Anthem. Uh, the lyricist and drummer Neil Peart was influenced by Ann Rand. She was a writer. Listen to these words. I used to sing them all the time as a teen. Live for yourself. There's no one else more worth living for. <laughs> Is that not the message of the world? And the false teacher. In contrast, the true man of, God, man of God will tell you what you need to hear and that will ultimately lead to your eternal blessing if you hear him and heed him by faith. And notice, we're almost done here, but I want to mention this. Notice that Paul says, first of all, he tells us about what scripture is. It's God-breathed. I mentioned that earlier. But notice the real stress here in the passage is the usefulness of scripture. And the sufficiency. Notice what he says. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now my wife, she loves to talk about when she hears a sermon that she thinks is good. She says, it's ripping. And what she means by ripping is it convicted the snot out of you. She feels like it's not a ripping sermon unless you, you go out going, ouch, ouch. Thank you for that. And there is a lot of truth to that. The gospel should include reproof and correction. Notice those are the words. As well as training in righteousness. It's not an either or. The way to not only survive but thrive in these perilous times in these last days is to stay the course laid out for us in the scriptures through faith in the one to whom all the scriptures point our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that means continue in what you've been convinced of. Do not move from it from one iota, my brothers and sisters. And that will see you all the way home, even if the whole world contradicts it. Can I get an amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these strong words that we need to hear in these perilous times. We thank you, Jesus, that you stand before us as the light of the world to show us that you are the way, the truth, the life, and that we are to follow you just as we started. We are to continue through faith in you. Father God, protect us from the evil one. Enable us to stay the course, Lord, that we might be helpful, that we might be the salt and the light of the world that you say that we are even to the hurting, 
to those, Lord, who uh, are on the fringe of society. Lord, to everyone that we have an opportunity to share your love with. Oh God, help us stay faithful to the gospel that saved our souls as it's given to us in your word. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.